imitation is a fine place to start from, but it is a horrible place to stay at. The Instagram guy started from a place of imitation, but then they quickly moved on. This is what they said. At that time, there were so many check-in apps. There was Foursquare and Koala and a bunch of others trying to make it. Of course, following the trend, I thought there was something here about the devices in everyone's pocket being available to share new types of information. End quote. So, Instagram started as a check-in app. It was called Bourbon. It had a great name. It was following this wave. Uh, it was a good idea. Maybe they could get ahead of somebody, but ultimately is a bad strategy and one that the Instagram guys soon moved away from. And it's important to know that if you imitate to start, if you try to replicate what someone else is doing to start, that's okay, but you can't stay there. You have to soon relocate. Casey Neistat does a Q&A session on his vlog maybe every week or so. And once he was asked about how to create a great YouTube channel, how do you get a lot of views? And Neistat said um, that the reason, the way you create a great YouTube channel is by not imitating. He inverted the question. So the best way to fail is to imitate. And Neistat again points out that it's okay to start as an imitator, but it's not okay to continue as that. Even his experiences as a video vlogger were influenced by some of the other work he had done, some other things that he had seen. Author Stephen King writes that imitation is a place where everyone starts, whether conscious or not. You don't start ex nihilo. You don't start from nothing. You don't start from scratch. You're not a blank slate. There's some set of influences on you. And imitation is an okay part of that. This is what King writes in the book on writing. Quote, you may find yourself adopting a style you find particularly exciting. And there's nothing wrong with that. When I read Ray Bradbury as a kid, I wrote like Ray Bradbury. Everything green and wondrous and seen through a lens smeared with the grease of nostalgia, end quote. So King uh, goes on in that section of the book to say how his writing changed over time, how he switched from imitation of Ray Bradbury to imitation of other authors, and how his writing was always a reflection of that, how his writing uh, changed tones, how the cadence differed compared to other things he had done. And uh, he sums up this youthful imitation as, quote, a kind of hilarious stew, a necessary part of developing one's own style, end quote. So Stephen King here points out that he was a big imitator at the start. He understood the value of imitation. He knew he had to understand um, how writing worked from a position of imitation. But he soon developed this own stew, and he's been amazingly successful with the stew that he has. Investor Seth Klarman says that he was an early value investor, much like Warren Buffett. And Warren Buffett was an early value investor, much like Benjamin Graham, his instructor, uh, his mentor, someone who guided him through a lot of investing things. But Klarman, like Buffett, like Charlie Munger, points out how they move on, how they start from this base of value, how they start by imitating what Benjamin Graham had taught and done, but figured out something beyond that. This is what Klarman says, quote, We always follow value principles, but we try to improve on them through in-depth fundamental analysis and detailed research, end quote. So Klarman, much like Buffett, uh, has changed 
his tactics. He's uh, adapted what he's done. Buffett's partner, Charlie Munger, says that Benjamin Graham was able to run his Geiger counter over the debris uh, from the uh, stock market crash. And he was able to find lots of great companies. But he had to... Um, but Munger had to move on from that strategy. He had to do something different. Even Warren Buffett points this out in his early letters to his investors for the Buffett Partnership. And he, he points out that early on he was looking for these cigar butt companies, uh, companies that he could hold for a little while, get cash from, and then sell them uh, when there wasn't any more value in them. And over time, his strategy has evolved, it's adapted. He's moved from an imitator and he's relocated to something else that works for him. Jason Calacanis told Tim O'Reilly that he imitated everything he did early on. O'Reilly had some of the best books and conferences on technology and Calacanis saw what he was doing, he imitated that and then he made it his own. This idea of imitation and then relocation is prevalent in other domains too, like the domain of sports. Anson Dorrance is the winningest soccer coach of all time and someone we've looked at on the podcast before. He recalls being invited to watch a Dean Smith basketball practice. Smith was the pinnacle of the University of North Carolina campus. His practices were closed, so you had to be invited to come in. And when Dorrance went and watched this practice, when he saw what Dean Smith was doing and how he was doing it and how it was structured, it totally changed how Dorrance looked at his soccer practices. He realized that even though the drills were different, there were so many consistent things between the two sports that he could take and he could apply them. He could script his practices in a different way. He could uh, adapt what he calls the competitive cauldron. He could run drills a certain way. There were a lot of things he could do. And uh, Dorrance goes on to say that, quote, every elite coach is part innovator, part imitator, end quote. Other coaches like Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll both take ideas and then tweak them too. They both try to look at things that other coaches are doing, imitate them, and then adapt them to their own system. And then relocate to a different idea because you can't just imitate and succeed. As Howard Marks says, you have to be different and you have to be right. Imitation is a, is a way to figure out the things that are right, the things that are working for other people. So you can imitate that, but you won't be successful just by imitation. You have to be different, uh, as Howard's Mark says, and that's our idea of relocation. You have to tweak and adapt and figure things out on your own. The Instagram guys noted that Gowalla was an imitator, and founder Josh Williams wrote a great postmortem on his company, one that I highlighted in my book, 28 Lessons from Startups That Failed. Williams wanted to create an app for, quote, people to see the world through the eyes of their friends, end quote. And he explains that he got sucked into this idea of the check-in wars. And check-ins accidentally became this key metric that people used to compare Gowalla and compare to Foursquare. So Williams didn't necessarily want to build a check-in app in the same way that the Instagram guys didn't necessarily want to build a check-in app. They we're trying to figure out something greater, and maybe check-ins was a mean to that greater ends. But Williams got sucked in, and his company was in the check-in wars, and it didn't turn out well. This is how Williams concludes the postmortem that he wrote, which is available on Medium. Quote, 
It turns out there was another app that shared a similar vision called Bourbon. They were building yet another check-in type service loaded with every feature but the kitchen sink. But early user feedback, coupled with a desire to avoid the check-in battle shit show already in progress, led them to drop everything to focus on one simple feature, photos. They made the act of taking and sharing photos, many of which just happened to be location tagged fast, simple, and fun. They made their own rules. They called it Instagram. End quote. Gowalla got stuck in a battle they didn't want to fight. Bourbon uh, slash Instagram escaped the fray and they found this newly available beachfront property. They imitated, 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 and then they relocated to something else. And that something else really worked for them. The second thing the Instagram founders did that was really helpful was that they kept a low overhead. This is what they said in the interview. Quote, that's more money, that is the first $50,000 that they had invested, than I had ever heard of in my entire life of a business getting. And then a little later in the same section. So here are two guys with a prototype, a couple of computers and no office who raised half a million dollars who are looking at each other like, we think we can make this last. We were living on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, end quote. Instagram needed time to figure out that they were a photo-sharing social network and not a check-in game social network. And that difference is the whole story of their success. That's the complete picture. That is why we have Instagram installed on our phone and not Gowalla. And that's why Instagram was bought by Facebook and not Foursquare. The founders had time to figure this out because they kept a low overhead. If a startup doesn't die, it was a good day for that startup. And one way to speed up your death is to spend too much money. In my book on startups, 28 Lessons from Startups That Failed, one of the key areas was poor management of money. And this manifested itself in four ways. These were four of the 28 ways that startups tended to fail. One, they hired too many people too fast. A lot of startups assume that once they got uh, any sort of investment money, they needed to hire people. Or they thought that um, once they hit a certain rate of change, they needed to hire more people. And they uh, mis-extrapolated that change. Two was they spent too much money on expensive low-return marketing. A number of startups thought that if they went to a trade show or if they um, bought a lot of uh, advertising, that they would build their brand recognition, and that was all they needed. If people only knew about them, then they would be led to this land of successful startups, and that wasn't the case. The third way startups made the money mistake was they bought too much hardware or inventory. They scaled out physical things way too fast. And the fourth money mistake was sunk cost bias. That is, they uh, spent good money after bad. They thought that because they were invested in a certain path, or strategy or technique that they should continue doing that thing when they really should have cut bait and found a different part of the pond to fish in. What's amazing about this is that my research looked at uh, 60 some startup postmortems that were written online and Instagram did none of these money mistakes. It was only two guys so they didn't hire too fast with some laptops and one server so they didn't uh, spend too much money on hardware or inventory, and they flitted from one idea to another. That is, they avoided the sunk cost bias, and they were pitching over coffee meetings rather than paying to go to trade shows 
or um, to demo days with an expensive admittance fee. In the book, uh, my book, 28 Lessons from Startups That Failed, I compared the pitfalls a startup has to get through to quicksand. And Krieger and Systrom, the Instagram founders, uh, move through the jungle like Tarzan. In his free ebook, Ben Horowitz writes um, about another way to avoid the money pit, and that's positive cash flow. And all positive cash flow is low overhead combined with just enough revenue. So if you have a high overhead, then you need to have um, high revenue to cover that, to be positive. This is what Horowitz writes, quote, this wasn't about strategy or tactics. This was about freedom, the freedom to build the company the way we thought was best. Over the next five years, investors wanted us to do lots of things. Some things they wanted were smart, and some were very stupid. We listened to what they had to say, but we always did what we thought was right, and we never worried about the consequences. Investors did not control our destiny. Over those five years, the company's value grew 40-fold as a result of controlling our own destiny and being able to make our own decisions, end quote. So Horowitz would have lost control of his company. He would have not been able to make the decisions that he thought he had to make if these investors were able to put in their two cents, if they had control of his company because he didn't have positive cash flow, if his low overhead wouldn't have been there, if it would have been too high. Before Yvon Chunard started Patagonia, he had a small hardware climbing gear company. To keep this company running, and then him fishing, skiing, climbing, and so on, Chunard lived cheaply. This is what he wrote in his book, Let My People Go Surfing. Quote, I'd live on 50 cents to a dollar a day. Before leaving for the Rockies one summer, my friend and I bought a couple of cases of dented cat food cans from a damaged canned food outlet in San Francisco. We supplemented cat food with oatmeal, potatoes, ground squirrel, blue grouse, and porcupines, end quote. He bought dented cat food to eat. You don't hear that with Silicon Valley startups. You don't hear that with any startups now. But for Chunard, keeping the low overhead was so important because he had to go away on these climbing and fishing and skiing and hiking trips because that is where he figured out what he needed to, to do to build this company. He learned in those trips what people needed in outdoor gear and climbing gear. In the same way that the Instagram guys were able to keep a low overhead, and that gave them time to figure out that they shouldn't build a check-in app, Chunard kept a low overhead, and that gave him time to figure out what kind of outdoor clothing to buy. And he's not the only one that has followed this low overhead path. Jay Leno told Judd Apatow that he kept a low overhead when he was starting out as a comedian. This is what Leno said, quote, well, I was also a Mercedes-Benz mechanic at the time. I didn't have any expenses. I didn't have any lifestyle to maintain. I liked doing it. I would drive hundreds and hundreds of miles to work for free for four or five minutes. I didn't know if I would ever really make a living at it, end quote. So Leno keeps a low overhead because he needs that time to figure out what does it mean to be a good comedian? How can I invest the time in this pursuit? How can I get better at it? When you're not a good comedian, you have to do this kind of thing. You have to drive hundreds and hundreds of miles to work for free for four or five minutes. And if you can't commit that time because you have to work more to pay for your overhead, to pay for an apartment or to pay for a lifestyle or to pay for anything really, then you won't be able to get good at it. Apatow remembers entering Jerry Seinfeld's apartment early in his career and thinking, there's not much here. 
Seinfeld told him that he was a minimalist from the beginning, and that's always worked well for him. Part of that minimalism for Seinfeld was to keep a low overhead. Accidentally or not, both Leno and Seinfeld figured out that they needed to practice their act to get good at it, and that sometimes meant working for free. You can't do this kind of thing if you have bills to pay. This was the case for Ezra Klein. Before he started Vox or wrote for the Washington Post, he was a bored college student who found this thing called blogging, and he decided to give it a try. He wasn't great at blogging, but he didn't need to be great at blogging. He just needed uh, to practice blogging, to practice writing, and he got that as a college student. After graduating, he earned a fellowship at the American Prospect, and it paid uh, very little, but it taught Klein a lot of skills. He says that um, this job paid little, that if you were a family or married and you had kids, you couldn't afford to take this job. You couldn't afford to step away from a regular paying journalism gig to work for the American Prospect, but Klein could. Klein was fresh out of college. He didn't have a family. He didn't have relationships to commit to. He didn't have a high overhead that he had to maintain. He could take this job that would build certain skills, that would teach him things about what was important in writing and what wasn't, um, and he could do so because he wasn't feeling pressure in other areas. When Sophia Amoruso started her company, Nasty Gal, um, she kept a really low overhead. She writes in her book that she would only move to a new apartment or a new factory or a new facility that was just barely big enough for her to sell the vintage clothing that she found used in out-of-state sales and so on. Eventually, her company made it uh, much, much larger in size. And so Emma Russo had to move to a bigger facility. And this was uh, at a time where she hadn't had a vacation in years. So she decided to go to Hawaii and let someone else take care of setting up this new facility. She came back and she noticed that there were Herman Miller Aeron chairs throughout the facility. And she thought, we can't do this. This is not okay. This is not teaching our interns the right sort of attitude. This is not teaching the people who work here. It's not instilling the right culture for what this company is. And she had her assistant sell all of those chairs on eBay and earn back some of the money. But it was important for her to have this low overhead ethos. Charlie Munger said that Birch Berkshire Hathaway's headquarters is a tiny little suite, and it's not, quote, surrounded by servants, end quote. Michael Ovitz built CAA, one of the most powerful agencies in Hollywood, with borrowed furniture, a gift of office supplies from his father, and his wife and the other partner's wives answering the phones. The more time you have to figure something out, the better your chances of getting it right. Expenses truncates that time to figure things out. The third thing that I noted that Instagram did really well was they got lucky. They got, like, really lucky. This is what they said. Quote, I think we're going to focus on photos, end quote. And the scene where Instagram decided to pivot to photos could have come from a romantic comedy. This is what Systrom says. She said, he says that his girlfriend said, well, I don't think I'm going to post very much. My photos aren't that good. They're not as good as your friend Greg. And Systrom replies to that, well, Greg uses a bunch of filter apps to make them look nice. And then his uh, girlfriend at the time says, well, you should probably add filters. And that all transpired when they were on a vacation together. And it's amazing that 
uh, just this sort of serendipitous conversation led to Instagram pivoting from a check-in app to a photo sharing app. And it doesn't matter if you back in accidentally to good luck or charge forward full throttle and you find yourself with a good idea. What All that matters is that you have your direction right, that, that you um, are moving in the right ways. And how you got moving in the right ways doesn't really matter. Their luck didn't stop there either. This is what they said in the interview. Quote, before you knew it, we had overloaded our system. To be clear, there's no reason we should have succeeded. The server was down every other hour and people just kind of forgave us. They came back and they would share their photos. At the time, mobile networks weren't that great either. So people would blame their connection and not us, which was great. Notice how, uh, how interesting that is, that people would blame their network connections rather than the, the um, problems with the Instagram app. In some ways, I wonder if Netflix has the same advantage. Whenever the streaming service slows at our house, I rarely think negatively about Netflix. My ISP, on the other hand, not so kind to them. And the Instagram founders recognize that they have been lucky. When interviewer Guy Raz asks how much of it has been luck, they say 50%. Quote, I have this thesis, the world runs on luck, and the question is what you do with it. Everyone gets lucky for some part of their life. The question is, are you alert enough to know you're being lucky? Are you talented enough to take advantage and run with it? Do you have enough grit to stay with it when it gets hard? End quote. This really reminded me of what Bill Gurley told Kara Swisher about him starting out as a venture capitalist. He said he had been hired to write and research the technology sector when a row of people above him left the company and Gurley took advantage. This is what he said, quote, I got very lucky that CS First Boston gave me an opportunity. Then, two weeks after I joined, Charlie Wolf was there and covering PCs, and he announced that he wanted to resign and back off. So I went into my tiny little apartment and wrote a 20-page assessment of the PC industry. I went in and begged for Charlie's job. It couldn't have been more fortunate because I moved through the ranks very quickly, end quote. So there are these hinge plays. There are these bifurcations. There are these opportunities in our life where you face door number one and door number two and sometimes you get to peek and you realize that door number two is a better direction for you or it's more money or it's a greater opportunity or it's a chance to relocate to a part of the world you always wanted to live in but you still have to open that door you still have to take advantage of it you still have to take action and pursue it before Gene Kranz was played by Ed Harris in the Apollo 13 movie, he was like many other high school kids before him. He was bagging groceries at the local grocery store. Kranz was a really bright kid. He earned scholarships to Notre Dame and the Naval Academy. He was going to go on and do big things. Then he had his physical. Kranz had high blood sugar levels. And the reason he had high blood sugar levels was because he was eating candy at the grocery store. So he was hustling, he was working, he was um, being very active in the pursuit of his success, but he was eating candy, one of the perks of the job, and that meant that his scholarships to Notre Dame and the Naval Academy were revoked. But his bad luck is offset by this kind teacher who helps him earn a $500 scholarship to Parks Air College in St. Louis. We see Kranz at the same fork in the road that the Instagram founders had. He had a bit of good luck and now it's up to him to take advantage of it. What will he do at Parks Air College in St. Louis? Well, he takes advantage of it and he goes on to lead the Apollo 11 lunar landing. 
Investor Jack Schwager says there's always luck involved in any sort of investment. Economists that look at soccer say that it's a 50-50 game. Football uh, has a lot of luck involved too. Coach Pete Carroll tries to get his players to focus on the parts that aren't prone to luck. That is the things that they can control. That is, uh, once they get to um, a path, once they get to a decision point, to focus on the action of that decision point, to focus on writing the 20-page report like Bill Gurley does. This is what Carroll says. Quote, the winning-losing thing, the judgment at the end of it, you can't focus on that. You focus on that and you're missing all the things that happen in the meantime. What really gets you there are the good plays, one after another, one step at a time, one thought at a time. If you believe in that, the outcome will turn out the way you want it to. End quote. World Series of Poker champion Annie Duke told Charles Duhigg, quote, All we can do is learn how to make the best decisions that are in front of us and trust over time the odds will be in our favor. End quote. So Duke and Carol and Kranz and Gurley all talk about luck in the same way the Instagram founders talk about luck. You're going to have good luck and you're going to have bad luck, but all you can do, the only thing that is worth your attention and energy and time and focus is what you can do when you are faced with those decisions. When you come to a fork in the road, uh, you don't bemoan the fact that one uh, path through the woods has poison ivy and the other has brambles. You think about what can you do? What are the actions that you can take? to make the best decisions possible that will lead you to your goals. The fourth thing I noticed about Instagram was hinge plays. This is a, the idea of the fork in the road moments and about really making good choices at them. This is what the guy said. Quote, we sat down very, very early on in the product design process and asked ourselves, do we want to be a place where you send a friend request and you have to accept it in order to see those photos? Or do we want to be open and anyone can follow anyone? I'm so glad we ended up choosing the open model. I got the idea and the terminology for hinge plays from Bill Belichick, and that's uh, what he calls these plays that happen in the course of a football game that can really lead to uh, better chances of a series of positive outcomes. During uh, the first Patriots Super Bowl, he told assistant coach Romeo Cornell, quote, we can't give up this play. We can't give up first down on third and 25. I mean, that will kill us, end quote. He also said when he was coach of the Giants that Lawrence Taylor was really good at hinge plays because he could rise up on third down and make a big play that would stop a drive. And these third down plays are really important in football because it, it usually signifies a change in possession. But hinge plays are all around us. We can think of them as uh, lines on a series of choices. And each one of those choices leads to a final outcome. We can think of it as a decision tree. Tic-tac-toe, for example, has 255,168 possible outcomes. So football is like this tree, too. And every game has an entire uh, series and sequence and list of possible outcomes. Even a game as simple as tossing a coin demonstrates possible outcomes that can happen. And Belichick believes that there are certain plays in a game, hinge plays, that swing from one outcome from to another, or that swing from chances of one outcome to chances of another outcome. In coin tossing, it might be that if you, you only win if you get two of the same. So you get heads and heads or tails and tails after you flip a coin two times. Toss one tail and you'll need another one to come up. T 
Tossing a coin is a game of randomness, but football and technology companies are less so. But the idea of hinge plays exists for all of them. The hinge plays for Belichick's football team are third down plays. And so that's really clear for a football coach. But if we look deeply, if we think deeply, if we can really have the foresight to consider all the possible outcomes, all the counterfactuals, we can start to maybe peek at hinge plays in our own lives. With hindsight, Peter Thiel wrote that taking a Supreme Court clerkship would have been um, would have changed his life for the worst. It would have been bad if Thiel had been accepted as a Supreme Court clerk. Once we start to think about the possibilities, about the possible outcomes, we can identify hinge plays that lead us to our desired goals. This is easier said than done. Economists Chris Anderson and Dave Sally looked at soccer and found that defense really does win championships. Not allowing a goal leads to a better total outcome for a soccer team than scoring a goal. So if you had to choose uh, for one thing to happen in your next soccer game, then you would choose that the other team would not score a goal, that you would successfully defend one goal rather than score an extra goal. But this is really hard for us to see if you watch soccer or if you follow soccer. You can see the great offense. You can see a great cross uh, that, that someone heads into the back of the net or a corner kick that is bent like Beckham or any of number of plays that lead to a soccer goal. In fact, just look at the celebrations after a soccer goal and you can see the emphasis on that, the appreciation of that, the attention for that. But uh, mathematically, it is much better to, to not allow a goal. And this is harder to see. You don't recognize when a defender makes a sharp pass that stops an attack or steals the ball or is in the right spot at the right time. And when things are hard to see, we tend to underweight the value of them. If we can start to think about possible outcomes, and if we can weight them, or check their chances, or figure out things that influence our outcomes, we can zoom in even farther and think about these hinge plays that will really make a difference. These things that will lead us toward the big outcomes or goals that we want in our lives. The fifth thing I learned from the Instagram founders was how much timing matters. Good timing really is what allows good ideas to be great ideas. And if you can't get the timing right, whether it's through luck or skill or attention to detail or process or whatever it is, then you're really limited on the upside of your company or your football team or whatever your situation is. This is what the Instagram founder said, quote, we started the company right at the moment where the quality of those cameras just kind of met up with point and shoots. Because of that, everyone started taking pictures with their phone, but they had no place to put them or it was just hard, end quote. So uh, when smartphone cameras caught up with point and shoot cameras or when they were at least close and people started sharing more and more online, that was the perfect time for a photo sharing app like Instagram. And that is exactly what happens. We need good timing the things that we're doing in life. And good timing really helps accelerate the entire growth process. Jim Miller, in his book about creative artist agency, said that, quote, Ovitz and Meyer were lucky they were in the movie business back then because they had much more influence and many more clients working. It's a tougher business now, end quote. So if you wanted to start an agency that managed actors in Hollywood. It was much better to do it when Ovitz and Meyer did. They had their timing right. 
Tony Hawk points out that he got great at skateboarding right before it started to get big. It was like he had found this secret little thing that was about to explode in popularity, and he was one of the best ones at it. Barbara Corcoran said about her investments in New York weren't so much really great decisions for her. Well, they were great decisions from her. But another asset was terrible timing for New York. Quote, I happened to land in New York at its darkest hour. End quote. So Corcoran has the good timing or good luck in timing that she's able to buy at the bottom and has ridden the roller coaster up in New York real estate prices. Even going back in time, we can look at someone like Milton Hershey, who built out his distribution off of Civil War reconstruction and the creeping and ever-expanding railroads across North America. Milton Hershey's experiences with timing are so clear because he wasn't the only caramel manufacturer, and he wasn't the only person making candy, but he got this timing right, and it really was good timing in that brands, regional brands in one part of the country could expand with distribution across the United States and across the world. Hershey isn't the only one this occurred for. It's true for Coca-Cola, and it was true for Wrigley Chewing Gum. The timing for, to create one of those kinds of companies was best back then. If we don't get the timing right, even some of our best ideas, even ideas that will successfully play out in the future or have successfully played out in the past, will not work. Mark Cuban tried to start a streaming media company, but he was limited by internet service provider speeds and not having access to mobile phones and other things. When Cuban was in uh, Texas early on, he wanted to stream uh, Indiana Hoosier basketball games, and that's how he got started. That was many, many, many years ago, well before all the streaming music services that we have now. Casey Neistat was probably too late with his tech company Beam, Beam a company really similar to Snapchat and Instagram stories, but it wasn't different enough. They didn't, as we pointed out earlier, uh, relocate after they had imitated. Percy Fawcett had bad timing because a world war broke out. He wanted to explore all these other parts of the Amazon. He wanted to find these other things, but he couldn't because he had to serve his country. Trip Adler uh, went to Y Combinator and pitched an idea for a ride-sharing app, but was told that it wasn't going to work. Chamath Palihapitiya was too early pitching the Facebook phone, an idea that just seemed so logical. It seems like it would have made sense. It seems like the company certainly would have enough money to tinker around and experiment with this kind of hardware, but it just didn't work out at the time they did it. What helps for the right timing is a certain amount of patience. It's an ability to pass okay idea after okay idea and then wait and seize a great one. Warren Buffett likes to say that his favorite book is by Ted Williams called The Science of Hitting. And what Williams writes about in that book is that you have to wait for the right pitch and be patient. And Buffett says that that's his greatest lesson for investing. Louis C.K. applied this idea when he created his show, Horace and Pete. Louis was scheduled to make a movie during that same time, but there was something about this idea, the idea, the kernel of what became Horace and Pete that kept tugging at him. So he started writing episodes and thinking about it more and more and how he could do this and who would be in it and where they would film it and so on and so on and thinking of all the logistics. Soon after he finished writing the first two episodes, he thought Steve Buscemi would be great for this. Uh, let me call them. So he, he called them and Buscemi had just ended his show Boardwalk Empire and uh, Buscemi was able to say yes and a number of other 
actors were able to say yes because the timing of it was really good. Louis uh, had good timing to figure this out, but he also took advantage of the skills he had built up. In the same way that Bill Gurley saw a chance and took it, and that Instagram guys suggest that you have the talent to take advantage of a lucky break when it comes, Louis did this too. When he talked to Charlie Rose, he compared it to that scene in The Matrix where one of the characters is, is immediately able to download a certain set of skills or a certain understanding of something. And this is what Louis said. Quote, when there's a helicopter and he says to her, you know how to play helicopter, and she goes, wait a minute, and she loads the program, now I do. Well, anyone can do that. It just takes longer. You can just load a program. So now I know how to create a multi-camera drama and mount it in the same week that I shot it and how to direct many great actors, which I had never done before, end quote. So Louis C.K. looks at his skills, the things that he's able to do, like write a show, recruit actors, direct actors, create a multi-camera drama, post it, do all the internet stuff, write the email marketing, all those things, because he has the merit badges that demonstrate that. And when you have the merit badges, you have the skill to take advantage of the timing, your timing window expands because you're able to do these things. You don't have to spend the time to learn the thing and then do the thing. You can just go ahead and do the thing. Conditions matter when it comes to great outcomes compared to good outcomes compared to average outcomes. And central to this idea of certain conditions is timing. In the same way a backyard gardener plants tomatoes at one time of the year and not another, creating any kind of company is influenced by the timing too. Businesses, though, have no final frost or seasons that they follow. There are no signs to go on and no signs that you should wait. As we pointed out in number three, you sometimes just need to be lucky and build up some skills along the way. The sixth and final thing I noted from the Instagram founders was trial by fire. This is what they said. Quote, those initial weeks, it was a trial by fire. We had to learn everything on the job, and we had so many chances to fail, but we just kept at it. We kept working. We pulled a bunch of all-nighters. The amount we learned in that first year was crazy. It was like five years of college, all in one, end quote. Though Instagram's story is told in a shiny and tiny podcast episode, there is so uh, much more involved in it. One thing to emphasize here is that Systrom and Krieger weren't prepared. They couldn't be, and in fact, no one is ever prepared for the things that they are going to do. When Gene Kranz showed up at NASA Control for the first Mercury mission, an astronaut gave him a ride from the airport. It was a really ragtag, unorganized start. And when Kranz got into the office and started uh, running simulations and experiments, it continued. This is what Kranz wrote in his book, and this was true throughout the different uh, Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo missions. Without knowing much about anything, I was telling people how to do everything, writing the rules for the control team that would support the Mercury Redstone launch. Later in the book, Kranz writes, Since there were no books written on the actual methodology of spaceflight, we had to write them as we went along. And then even later, Such was flight control in the final year before the lunar landing. Assignments and opportunities came like a lightning flash. There were no precedents, no guidelines. All of a sudden you were given a job and you did it, whatever it took. This is NASA. This is sending people to space. This is the space race. This was complicated mathematics and physics and engineering and compiling all these different systems created by uh, the lowest bidder and, and figuring them all out and putting them together and then sending someone to the moon. It's amazing to think of 
But this is true in a lot of areas of life. Sometimes we're stuck looking for this secret sauce or the recipe or the shortcut, and there is not one. You just need to do it. That's what these people did. These uh, subjects that we've looked at, the Instagram guys, Gene Kranz, other people, you just come to something you aren't prepared for, and you just figure it out as you go. When I was an adjunct instructor in college, I taught in the education department, and most of what I did was preparing students for uh, their semester of student teaching. The most frequent complaint we got from students, or the most frequent gripe we got, was that they felt like they weren't ready to be in the classroom. And every year that I taught these, these students, I told them the same thing. I said, you're never going to be ready. There's no very official complete training manual for student teaching sitting on a shelf somewhere. And it's not true for student teaching, and it's not true for whatever the thing that you're doing is. You just have to get out there and figure things out. Angela Duckworth, author of the great book Grit, started Breakthrough Greater Boston, a tutoring program, and she wrote, quote, As anyone who has started an organization from scratch can tell you, there are a million tasks, big and small, and no instruction manual for any of them, end quote. In Nike's early days, Phil Knight needed someone to go figure out why one of their factories wasn't running as efficiently as it could have been. He chose one of his first uh, hires, Jeff Johnson. And Johnson was a retail guy. He set up the first retail store. Um, he was a hustler. He did a lot of things for Nike. Uh, but he told Knight when he asked him to go look at this factory that he didn't think he was ready. He didn't think he knew what to do. He felt over his head. Uh, in, his, in his book, Shoe Dog, Knight recounts, quote, over your head? We're all in over our heads, way over, end quote. <laughs> so we have this same thing that people are like, wait, 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 wait. I'm not ready for this thing to happen. But the point is that you will never be ready. You will never be fully prepared for the thing that you're facing. Whether it is raising kids or starting a business or writing a book or interviewing someone or going on a trip or going on a first date, or whatever the thing you want to do, the thing that you are facing, you will not be ready for it. We looked at six things that Instagram seemed to do really well. There's a number of other things that I'm sure that they succeeded with. I'm sure the founders were smart, they were talented, they got help, they had mentors, but there were just six things that I think are universal. I think these six things that Instagram did, if you apply them to your own pursuits in life, your own challenges, your own goals, I think they will work for you. To recap, one, imitation is a fine place to start but not stay. I always go back to the Howard Marks quote that you have to be different and you have to be right. Imitating is a way to start off on the path that is right and being different is a way to uh, not stay with imitation. Two, you have to keep a low overhead. A friend of mine uh, recently emailed me and he said it reminded him of escape velocity, velocity for a rocket ship. The more overhead you have, the more cost you have, the more gravity is pulling down on you, and the harder you'll have to work to reach that escape velocity like a rocket. Number three, luck matters. Luck is prevalent in every single thing we do. What you do with your luck, the actions that you take, really is what matters. If you can focus on the things that you can control, you'll, you won't have better luck because luck is uncontrollable, but you'll have better outcomes from the luck because you are focusing your energy and efforts on the things that really matter. 
The fourth thing we talked about was hinge plays, these bifurcations, these paths in the woods. And you, if you can identify the right path, the one that leads you to a better total series of possible outcomes, a total better series of alternative histories, if you can figure out where those really important choices are, if you can figure out the third down moments of a football game in your own life, you'll be led to mostly better choices. The fifth thing was good timing. You really need good timing to make something go from average to good or from good to great. Timing is really important. And if you don't get the timing right, it, it'll affect the total set of outcomes. And the sixth thing was trials by fire. You will never be prepared for what you want to do ever, 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 ever. Uh, all you can do is realize this, focus on what you can control, and slowly get better at things. Thanks for listening.